Hello listeners, welcome to another episode of Switched On with me, Paul Logwe. In this episode, I'm joined by British Paralympian Ali Jawad. Um, going into this episode, just want to give you a heads up. Unfortunately, while recording, I was having a bit of technical issues over Zoom, which meant that my microphone was connecting and disconnecting throughout the whole interview. And as a result, the sound quality on my side isn't the greatest, but Due to how well this interview went and the conversations where I was having with Ali, I wanted to bring this all to the public to listen to. So please bear with me and I appreciate your support. And with that being said, let's dive into it. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Switch Done with me, Paul Olowe. Today, this is Kupchuri. I'm joined by an amazing individual. I've been waiting for a while to have this conversation. And, you know, I have to sneak into my man's DM and be like, you know, listen, we got to have a little chat. <laughs> it's been way too long. But yes, I'm joined by a very interesting person. I've known him for a while, I've known him for a couple of years. I met him actually before the 2012 um, um, London Olympics. And since then, it's just been someone I found very, very interesting. And uh, yes, today I'm having a conversation with my man, the one and only. So my um, background is um, elite sport. So I've competed at four Paralympic Games. Um, so Beijing, London, Rio and Tokyo. Um, and I won silver at the Rio Paralympics. And recently I'm, I started a PhD two years ago uh, in anti-doping in Paralympic sport. And last year I launched a fitness app. So uh, I'm quite busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh dude you're on it man you're busy <laughs> that's why i'm like i'm so happy to actually have you here and to actually get the time to kind of get you on on this uh but yeah like um i i, I kind of got to meet you before the um if i, I remember you were training for the um 20 2012 um 2012 olympics and paralympics and um I, and it was interesting because i remember i was at ul and literally like everyone kind of like things are kind of moving around people were kind of like talking like, oh, there's somebody coming in, and then next thing I know, they're like, oh, this is guy's a big bencher, he's coming in to come and train, I was like, oh, okay, cool, like, that would be interesting, I hear you just come in, like, just casually just roll yourself in, set up your bench, and just kind of hitting the weights, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, okay, this is a whole different ball game. I, I, I didn't know, like, there was a, there was an Olympian coming here to come and train, I was like, oh, this is interesting, uh, but yeah, how did you, how did you kind of, like, um, how did you get into the sport, like, what was your early, your early, your early stage of like growing up, where, where did you come from, where did your family originated from, and then how did you kind of get into sports, and then more interesting, uh, I'm more into like powerlifting and stuff like that. Yeah, so um, I was born in Lebanon, and I came over with my parents when I was six months old, so I was only a little baby, 
and I guess from a very young age, I was quite active. Like I was obsessed with sport. So I used to love football. Uh, I used to watch everything. Obviously having no legs meant that I couldn't really, um, I, didn't, I wanted to be a footballer, but that was out. So I had no legs. So um, I had to find um, other sports where I can play. Now, when I was about six, I watched the 96 Olympic Games in Atlanta. And I watched um, a guy called Michael Johnson win his historic 200 and 400 meter gold medals. And um, I was like, you know what? I want to feel what he's feeling. Uh, and that's, yeah, so that's when the obsession of the Paralympic Games actually happened. Now, I knew obviously I couldn't run like Michael Johnson, but I thought that I wanted to find the sport that I was good at. So when I was 11, I started judo for four years. Okay. Um, and I was, did it for a very high level and then because of my disability I couldn't classify in judo at the top level uh, because it's only open for blind or visually impaired so I quit judo focused on my GCSEs and in that time uh, after actually one of the exams um, my friend forced me to go to the gym across the road from my school okay um Literally, I've never been to a gym before. I didn't, I didn't do weights because obviously judo training was more body weight stuff. Um, so I went to the gym with him, even though I didn't want to. And um, first day that I was there, I benched first 100 kilo. Um, and the whole gym completely stopped. I thought that uh, I'd done something wrong. So I put the weights away and literally like legged it to reception to get out of there. But I got stopped by the owner and he said, um, you've got talent, you have to come back. And that's, that's how it started. Oh wow, wow, wow! That's that's amazing. That's amazing. Like reaching in the first, in your first go, <laughs> your first go into the gym and, and like someone could support your talent, and then you kind of went from there to achieve some amazing things. But like, but like you did mention, um, um, you've got a physical—is that the right term? Physical disability in the sense that you don't have any legs. You were born without legs, right? I was born without legs. Yeah. Born without legs, and and, and how how was it? How was it growing up in that time? Like I'm just saying something like. A few decades back, how was it growing up, especially in 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 in, in the UK and Britain, as somebody with a physical disability? And how how were you kind of like how did you grow up in society? How were you how were you kind of perceived in a sense? Yeah, this probably sounds a little bit weird, but um, from a very young age, my parents were adamant that um, I should go to a mainstream school, okay, and I should go to schools that had no facilities. Because oh, wow. they, they said, like, that's life, go and adapt, basically. Because what happened was, I thought having no facilities was normal, so I adapted every day thinking that was normal. So what that did was, I learned skills every day um, as part of my life. Um, I was confident, I was loud, I was outgoing, I was never shy. I was always in the popular groups in school, uh, I was never bullied, nobody messed with me. Um, and uh, you know what? It, it, it pulled, you know, it kind of... They, even though it was a risk for them to put me in a situation where there's no facilities, it actually did me a lot of good because actually it meant that I was adaptable every single step of the way. Um, and now, if it wasn't for that grounding, I think I would have been much different. But no, I, I had a great childhood growing up in terms of um, just like, yeah, it was just really fun. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Did, 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 your, did your parents kind of tell you the reason why they went down that route of having you actually get to live life like basically let's say an able-bodied an able person that's like you're going to adapt to the environment not the environment adapting to you is did they kind of explain to you that or they just said this is what it is move on with that in a sense well, they've always said to me like no matter what happens the per the person that adapts 
the most is the person that's got a, a, a genuine chance of actually succeeding. So it's how you react to situations. So if you know me, um, I don't really care about what's in my way. I just adapt and get on with it and uh, I pull through. Um, I don't really waste time on, you know, being upset about things. Uh, things have happened and I must move on. So I guess growing up thinking, well, the school is not going to spend, you know, millions of pounds, you know, updating its facilities because I'm the only disabled person in the school. It just doesn't make any financial sense. Mm. So I'm just going to adapt and uh, be part of the community the best way I can. And I did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I feel you, I feel you, I feel you. That's, that, that's a very interesting mindset. I mean, to be honest, it's, it's a mindset that, or it's a way of life or a, a, a situation that growing up back home, for example, um, um, going to school and stuff like that, I did meet people that had a, a form of a, a, a physical disability, but the, the, in a sense, they had to acclimatize to the status quo of how everything was set up. Like, especially, especially when you have to pay for education, so like, most of the schools did not retrofit themselves to suit. They, they were built for able-bodied people and that's it. If you are somebody that has a physical disability or some sort, you, you just have to, you just have to get on with it. So it's interesting that that kind of like, that, that was something that you had to kind of like do at the same time here as well. But you talked about, you talked about like, um, nothing kind of stopping you when you want to achieve something or if there's a roadblock you kind of just work your way through it just kind of get on with it and that mindset and uh, it kind of leads to something that you did like over time i got to know about you was that you have crohn's disease do you mind explaining what that is and how that affects you as an individual and also as, as affects you as someone that participates in a stress sport for example how does that kind of play yeah so i got um i got sick the night before i competed at the beijing Paralympic games um, I didn't know what it was. And then it took them nine months to diagnose me with um, Crohn's disease. Now, at the time, I, I didn't know what it was. Um, I've never heard of it. Uh, I just thought that I'd get some medication and I'd be off my way. Uh, not realising that um, it was about to change my life uh, forever. Yes. So um, at the time, this was 2009, no Crohn sufferer had ever won a medal at any Olympic or Paralympic Games. It's never been done. Wow. Now... The issue was, I was only, what, 19, 20, and people saying that the career was pretty much over. Um, so Crohn's is a, an autoimmune-like disease where basically my immune system attacks me. And it means that if it attacks me, I'll get loads of like very unpleasant symptoms. Um, but then the complications of being on the medication as well on top is just a different level of um, trying to adapt to it. Um, yeah. And obviously competing at the top level with... The side effects of Crohn's, but also the side effects of the medication, it's not really a recipe for uh, optimal uh, performance. Yeah, yeah, no, no that's that, that's, and, and like you said, you falling ill the day before a major competition, like one of your, like one of the top top competition, that that could definitely knock you down, knock your spirits down, knock your motivation to continue, and then having people tell you that, oh, by having this this disease or this disease, it means that you kind of like your career is over, but I'm guessing that 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 for you, you saw that as another another block in your way, but that you had to kind of work yourself through and adapt to kind of like push through and go on to further competitions and excel in further competitions. What would you say was the was the how would you say you kind of like maneuvered yourself around that to get to this point in life whereby you've achieved so much even with that having to worry about that disease and and, and you kind of like coming up coming up here and there. How did you kind of like carry yourself through that? I think it's like a mixture between having the best team around me to give me all the um, information that was available so I can make an informed choice. 
Two, uh, sometimes you have to kind of accept that the outcome might not be the one that you want, but at least you can still apply yourself in the process fully. Um, and also free, uh, you just hang in there, just hang on, because uh, there's going to be some days where you can't do much more or you, or you don't think you can, but you just have to get it done. Um, and sometimes it's not maybe an optimal day, but I always say that if you can accumulate enough consistent days, it's going to give you a chance. You just have to be able to accumulate them days. Um, so yeah, just basically hang on for dear life and uh, get, you know, kind of keep keep at it. Um, but yeah, sometimes you can put all the things in place, but it's actually your sheer will that gets you through in the end. Yeah, no, that's 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 that's, that's amazing. That's, as well as I, I have to attribute me getting into powerlifting partly to do with you and seeing you in in that space of like stress for new training and just being in the gym while you were also training and looking at you just push monster weights and stuff like that and i'm like this is this is ridiculous to watch but it's also it's also like you talked about just being consistent putting in those hours and just the sheer will to want to succeed in something or, or to want to be as good as, as you can be in something i think that that definitely rubbed off on me i'm, I'm gonna like because training in that in that space of uh a university gym yes that had a spot a sporting link yes but there, there weren't that many people that were training in that piloting space or that strength space in a sense so coming into the gym and seeing somebody like you doing that definitely kind of added to my fire of like you know what I want to go down the street of stress mode. I want to go down the street of powerlifting. I want to get as strong as possible. I'm like, I could, like, he's lifting, he's benching some ridiculous numbers that I don't think I'm going to ever touch in my lifetime. You never know, but uh, I want to apply myself to this and I want to kind of, I want to see how far I can, I can push it. So my question to you would be, what is what is the maximum bench, like, in an outside competition? Like, what is the maximum bench? My maximum bench? Yeah. Is that so I've um, I've lifted in the gym. I've lifted two hundred and two kilo, and my condition personal best is one ninety five, and I've done that both for about fifty six kilo body weight. That's, that's how many? That's three point. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to. It's, it's about yeah. I think it's about three point eight, three point nine times body weight. Uh, so yeah, but I think in the next couple in the next couple of years, you're going to see a human being bench four times. I think. Yeah. Wow. That's just that that's just amazing to think about like that those kind of feet of strength. Like, like it's just, it's just and like you said, in the next in the last couple of years or whatever the case might be, you see somebody bench four times body weight, like at, at that level. It's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous to think about that. Um, but like moving it like right right now, you've kind of like you've done a lot in the sports and like is there is there any other competition you're going forward right right now, or are you just focused on your PhD and also the, the fitness app and stuff like that? Yeah, so I've taken a like an unlimited break from competing to focus on my health. Um, so yeah, the the app and the PhD is like my main focus now. Yeah, cool. And tell us about this app. What was the what was the idea behind the app? What was the what, what was the aim for this app? And and what what is the current state of this of the platform in a sense? Yeah, so pretty random. Uh, it's not like I had the idea forever. So. During the first lockdown, like everyone else, I had more time on my hands. You just you just do. Um, and I just started my PhD, and I was training from my living room uh, for the games in Tokyo. But I was still kind of thinking, I'm still quite bored in the evenings, and there's only so much Netflix you can watch. Um, so <laughs> we all did. We all did. So what, yeah, exactly. So um, what I did was I kind of started reflecting on my career. 
just like randomly, like, you know, did I do enough? Did I achieve what I want? Um, just like, you know, did I, did I feel like I applied myself the best way I could? Just stuff like that. And the one thing that I kept going back to was it wasn't the medals or the success that I had. It was actually when I was first in a gym when I was a kid. Um, and I never actually asked a question of why there's no disabled people in the gym. I was the mm. only one. Oh. And I was like, that's strange. I never asked that question. Was it because I was more adaptable, just more confident? Or are there barriers there that I just didn't know about? And has it changed in the last 17 years? And the answer is um, that the cell people still don't really go to the gym. Not really. Mm. They're not really. They're not really a part of that community. And I thought to myself, like, why is that? That's you know, that's still weird. Like, seventeen years and nothing's happened. Well, nothing significant has happened anyway. So I was like, okay, there must be a fitness app out there that is, uh, is especially designed for people that have got disabilities or impairments. Mm. Yep. So I started doing my uh, research uh, one morning. And um, I found there was about 70,000, just over 70,000 health and fitness apps on the market and none catered specifically and fully to disabled people. Wow. And I thought, thought to myself, no, that's, that's one, that's wrong, two, that's shocking, and three, maybe I'm just not looking hard enough. Maybe it does exist, it's just not there. But also that's a problem. If I have to look for it like that, yeah. then it's actually... It's still a bad sign anyway. Yeah. So I started writing down as a disabled person, what would a fitness app look like um, if it if it was created, right? So I got a piece of paper, started writing down some thoughts, what features, you know, what I think could work to make, you know, exercise, exercises truly accessible. And then within an hour, I was like, wait a minute, I could, well, it's either I give it to somebody else who want no time, because I'm not a tech person or a business person, trust me, that's not me. <laughs> yeah. Or do I do this myself? So I called my manager. I said, look, I've got a crazy idea. I want you to absolutely dissect and tell me off if it's crazy. I told him, he's like, it's crazy, but I think you're onto something. Mm. And uh, what we did was we outsourced the development team, uh, the app development team. We talked him through every single step. And within what about a year, we had a fitness app on the market, which is the first one of its kind. Of to, its kind. Especially, yeah. So, yeah, it's been um, a roller coaster two years from starting you know, from the idea to to launch. So yeah, it got launched last July. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. And, and to be honest, like you said, it's shocking that it's shocking that in the market space of this of this magnitude of so many apps, fitness related apps, and whatever the case might be privately owned app, gym owned apps, um, govern apps and stuff like that. There isn't actually an app specifically catering to those with disabilities of uh, disabilities is, is quite shocking. And so, so my next question linking to that would be what sort of support was there for you when it came to actually bringing this idea to life? Because I think for me, that would say a lot to where society is and to where those that actually talk about wanting to support people with disability and make them and make them well well integrated members of society are they actually putting the money where the mouth is so my question is what was the support mechanisms around that you could utilize or was there none so at the moment um me me and um my co-founders have fully funded it ourselves 
and now we're ready for like investment and that's where the well that's where the answer to your question is going to happen so the next couple of months when we do reach out for significant investment that's where the uh, proof is in terms of what society is really doing yeah. in terms of tackling the problem um s- some organizations that we've contacted felt that we were a threat to them <laughs> yeah it's weird uh, some some potential um people ask me well is there a market for this it's never been done for a reason what is the reason um do the sale people actually want this or is it just you Mm. um so what we did was before we launched the app we did market research ourselves and we got a resounding hell yes mm-hmm. um and ever since the launch we just gotten positive um loads of positivity like loads of positive feedback around it yeah now the app as i said like it's still only days and it's gonna take a very long time for me to be like truly happy with it um but it's on the market it had to be launched and we're just gonna grow it bit by bit mm. That's that, that's understandable because it's at its early stage, and like you said, it, it, it like it still boggles me that people have to ask that question as to is there a space for this because there is the we all talk about health and fitness, mind and body well being and all that kind of stuff, and you actually have even the government itself pushing uh, um, um, fitness apps and stuff like that for people to get healthy and stuff like that. So it it, it does bugger the mind that there wasn't something in place to help. To get people of the uh, to get people with physical disabilities and that into fitness, basically, I, just to keep fit and keep healthy in a sense. But really, really to commend you on this because the moment I found out about this app, I literally went on the Instagram page just looking at the app and just kind of looking at the functionality. And I have to say, like, is that it's early stage, but it's amazing to see what you've kind of put into that space. And you, you are you are pushing the boundaries. You are part. You are part, You are at the forefront of this. And I think sometimes when you are at the forefront of something people might not see the benefit of you doing it or you might, you, 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 people might, people might look at what you're doing as a threat or not really relevant until you get to the marketplace. And then, then you get the people that want to jump on a jump on your side to support you. But I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes, how far this goes. And, and this is not just a market in the UK. This is a market that's going to be global. If oh, we want to be a global world that actually makes everyone feel as part of society, it has to be, it has to be global. And, it is it, it has it has it ha- this app and this platform has legs and it has legs to reach yeah. a lot of places i think i think so for me like the way i built it was that i had to think about how can we scale to other countries quickly mm. so the foundation of the app is actually thinking like five t- t- five ten years ahead before it got launched um because i wanted it to be more evidence-based i wanted people to sell people to have um well, to empower them to create their own programs because mm. obviously like i'm not an expert on every impairment but they are the expert on their impairment so you yeah. empower them you guide them you educate them and they, they learn so we don't give out training programs at all the user creates their own program because yeah. we're not they're not experts in everything um and the way we've done it is that yeah it's very scalable very very quickly with the right investment in people um and i think that's what i was adamant that it had to be accessible globally mm. um at the moment it is only based in the uk but we're hopefully looking in the next year or so to hopefully go to you know like the usa australia canada new zealand um and then hopefully branch out from there that's amazing that's amazing and and like i said it's it's, it's as a platform that enables those that actually know well about their 
impairment to actually decide out of out, out of this platform what it what they can use i think i think that is a, such a such a key component of it because it means that even even fitness fitness trainers instructors and that can also use that platform to help coach their i'm I'm, I'm those that are willing to coach in a sense so i don't have to go out and create i'll just utilize this platform to help support someone else's goal so it's like yeah so yeah down the line you thought the same as me we're gonna have a a personal training academy where pts get to sign up to the app and they get to learn about every impairment all the exercises and then they can actually have disabled clients yeah like we're we're, we're doing them a favor basically basically Um, basically have clients if you think about it, just it makes it makes it more inclusive. So have clients. massively, that's yeah. it. Yeah, that's it. Oh no, that's 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 amazing. That's amazing. And to be honest, like yo, listen, call me, yeah. Like, let me know how I can invest. <laughs> call me. <laughs> let, me, let me know. Let me know. Listen, I could be I could be a silent investor. I don't mind. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, I think I think I think if you're getting now, I think you're going to get a huge price compared to a huge return down the line. That's what I always say to investors now. Okay, okay, hey, guys, if you're listening out there, investors. <laughs> put your money put your money out there put your money out there get out there quickly um but yeah so let's see um i'm 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 gonna have to slightly cool um so i think i, I think my next thing i want to kind of touch i want to branch into like you've been in, you've been in sports and you're aware of how things kind of go in that space so um let's talk about let's talk about drug use in sports um it's, it's an interesting topic to me because um, it's, it's something I've kept, I've kept an eye on for years and I found very interesting. I want to kind of know a bit more, more about and because I'm also in powerlifting and um, different federations have different rules and stuff like that. Uh, how, but when it comes to like the Olympics and those high level sports, how rampant is it? The answer is... Um, it's probably more rampant than what the stats say, the official stats say. Mm. So if you look at the the actual stats of how many people they're catching a year, it's only about 1% of global tests, which is not a lot, right? But a lot of research studies suggest that it's between between 5 and 40%. I think personally it's probably 15% prevalence rate. But um, yeah, like unfortunately them studies... um, you know, there's a lot of problems with them in terms of the methods they use and you know how it's with research, right? You can always criticise research, uh, but you can also praise it. We still don't know what the prevalence rate is, um, but yeah, officially 1% are caught every year, uh, which is not a lot, but actually it's, it's probably way more than that. Wow, okay. That's uh, that's, <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, because... Because like it, we always have this, we always have this stuff that keeps happening when, when it comes to like strength sports and stuff like that, and like when it comes to like the Olympics and Paralympics, and that is when like drug use has actually been like it, it always it always comes up whenever those tournaments come up in a sense, and I always kind of find it very interesting. Like I said, the rate at which people are caught, but it is when you look back in the next like five, six, seven years, you start hearing stories of people that competed in the last two Olympics. Now they're being caught for using specific drugs and stuff like that. And I think for me, it kind of tarnishes, it kind of tarnishes the image of any previous Olympics in a sense, because then you don't know if someone is actually a true winner. You don't know if actually someone is actually a true, a true champion. And potentially you're robbing somebody of the potential. Maybe somebody came fifth, but technically they could have been first if it was if, if things were done rightly. How is this 
is this something that will never change or is this something that the organization itself can do something about? There's a few things there. So like, so for example, they've counted it by samples and now stored for 10 years so they can retest samples. So you're not gonna get away with, you know, away with it that easily if you've deceived anybody. You've got 10 years to wait. Um, the, the issue that I have is in sport, maybe in society, right? For you to get an advantage, people will always want to cheat in a competitive environment. Forget about sport, just in general, right? Yeah. They always try to find a way to get an advantage. The issue is, is that the system like needs to be way more stricter in its sanctioning to make it very, very hard for people to cheat. Okay. Um, and, at the, and at the moment, if you look back, the systems had to learn very quickly that their systems in place, like at the time, just not good enough, not robust enough. Yeah. Um, but but I have some sympathy for the system in terms of they need more funding to tackle mm -hmm. the problem. Um, yeah. The global budget, the global budget for the World Anti-Doping Agency is about thirty million dollars. It's not a lot. Some <laughs> footballers earn more than that a year. Yeah. Um, so I so I get it. Like we uh, have to do way more. The structures have to be stricter. But we have to put our money where our mouth is and go actually able to fund this organization to its full potential for it to carry out the task we want them to. Yeah. Um, but also at the same time, you know, the, the sports need to engage with athletes because athletes have got a lot of knowledge. Mm. Uh, and unfortunately, there's still a huge gap between what athletes want and what the um, hierarchy want. Um, and that's where, you know, athletes need a seat on the table to actually get a voting right on how decisions that, you know, the World Athletic Doping Agency does um, affects them. There's, yeah. So there's still a long way to go. Yeah. And and do you, do you also think like there is, it, it, it is also slightly hampered with potential corruption at the top, at, at the top of, and like I said, this is not just about just sports in general, this could also be out in and outside of sports. If, if the top itself, is a little bit corrupt, then I'm guessing that kind of hampers the whole process of actually getting the sport clean or getting the Olympics or any of the major sports clean in a sense. Yeah, so I wouldn't say there's actually any, like, from my experience, there's no financial corruption. So paying somebody to do a job for you, um, mm. that's illegal. But I will say that the system um, favours stakeholders rather than athletes. Um, so they'll put, they'll put sporting politics above everything else, and that's wrong. Because when it comes to anti-doping, the athlete should be the centre. Mm. Um, so I call it, you can, well, you can call it like, it's not corruption, but it's, it's more like, you know, favouring politics over the actual athlete you're, you're trying to represent. Um, yeah. And that's where the issue is, where, you know, the, you've got organisations wanting to please governments rather than wanting to please athletes. athletes. And that's where yeah. the big gap is. And, that, yeah. and that's always going to be the case in sport, unfortunately, because it is all about power. That's it, yeah. you know, it's all about power. Yeah, so unless athletes can cough up um, a third of Wadja's budget to own it, to be a stakeholder, then we've got no chance. Yeah, <laughs> you've, got, you've got a chance solving it in a sense. And what would you say, what would you say, because I know like it, it's always like bans, like, like if somebody's caught cheating and stuff like that, it can be banned for a specific amount of years and stuff like that. I, I'm not really aware of any major lifetime bans and stuff like that. But what, what is your take on, if anyone is caught doping at, at 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 that kind of level or at any level, what should be the what should be the case? Should this be a, like literally like you're done, lifetime ban, you're done. Yeah. So when I was growing up, um, 
I was actually an advocate for lifetime bans. Mm. The issue is with lifetime bans is that would you ban an athlete that indirectly indirectly dotes? So, like they were unsure in terms of you know and their actions. So, for example, a lot of athletes make mistakes through supplements, right? Yeah. Are you going to treat are you going to treat a contaminated sup supplement as the same as actually somebody injecting themselves? You know, that's where the gray areas are. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, look, I'm, I'm all for the four-year ban. So you miss a, potentially miss an Olympic or Paralympic Games. But I think cases have to be individualized. Um, yeah. They have to be thought of. And there has to be some common sense. Because for me, an athlete that takes a contaminated supplement is not the same as an athlete that um, knowingly and deliberately takes drugs uh, to gain an unfair advantage. Now, yeah. you could say, the other hand, you go, actually, the athlete that takes supplements knew the risks and they still took it anyway. And yes, like, strict liability, like, it's a thing. But yeah. you can't ban them for life. Um, for, for me, the spectrum is actually quite vast when it comes to doping and yeah. the definition of it. Um, yeah. So you have to be very careful when it comes to, you know, we have to look at a, a case individually rather than uh, generically. Yeah, that makes to be honest, that, that makes a lot of even even in the even in the powerlifting space, I, I I have that same sentiment as okay, if like there's always going to be gray area, there are going to be those that are intentionally doing it because they want to gain an advantage, and I think if people like that are caught in the process of process of doing that or they've done that get, and gain an advantage, then I think they the um I'm the consequences should be a lot a lot more a lot more a lot more dire for them in a sense if that means pushing a ban longer than a four-year ban or six year like whatever the case might be but like I said they, they are going to be those that fall into the gray area of contact supplements being contaminated and stuff like that which is why we do have we do have a list of sanctioned supplements but even in the list of sanctioned supplements potentially there could be a case of you never know so I want to I want to correct you. There is no such thing as a sanctioned supplement. Oh no, I mean, so what you're, yeah. So what, so what you're referring to is the informed sport program. Yes. So the informed sport program. Yeah. So the informed sport program is basically um, supplement companies get in their supplements batch tested um, in line with the water prohibited list. Yeah. Now. I always say to athletes, if you're going to take supplements, if you really, really, really have to, and you've exercised every other thing, then go to the informed, um, you know, the informed sport like, website and see what supplements are batch tested if you really want to. Yeah. Um, but I always say that nutrition is the way forward. And if you can optimize that in your lifestyle, it's going to do the trick. Um, because unfortunately for, um, Informed sport do not test for every single contaminant, uh, every single prohibited uh, supplement. I mean, um, yeah. substance. Like it only lists like the majority, so it's still not hundred percent, but it still protects the athlete like a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, when it comes to contaminated supplements, there is no excuse because actually, yeah, the, the education's high. You've got tools there in place now, and I always say to athletes, if, if you're not checking something, don't take it. Don't take it. That, 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 <laughs> the solution. It, just don't take it if you if you can't like don't, just don't take it. And I think that's yeah. what that, that's what is a risk that everyone in a sense that takes supplement of some sort gets gets into. Like you potentially taking a risk, and hopefully it is it is keeping you on the right side. But there are going to be occurrences whereby people fall into that area of 
contaminate the badge. Well, think, think about it, right? So about, about 15, 20 years ago, the IOC did a study on supplementation, right? And they, they random, I think they random bought loads of supplements. They found that 15% of them supplements were contaminated. 15%. Think about it, right? An athlete, an athlete, when he's taking a supplement, they're taking a supplement thinking, I'm willing to risk 15% of my career because I'm taking this supplement. It's crazy. Like for me, like that's, that's insane for me. Um, when, I, when, I saw, when I saw the study, I was like, yeah, it's nuts. Um, we're lucky in the UK. I think, I think we're lucky in the UK that we've got a robust system in place, but other countries not, haven't really in yeah. terms of like what I, what I consider a gold standard. So yeah, like for me, try to minimize the risk as much as possible. Do not get yourself in that situation where you're going to be banned for contamination because uh, mm. that's, that's an, I think in my opinion, that's an amateur way to, to lose your, you know, your sport. Yeah. I hear you, I hear you, I hear you, I hear you. Um, that's, a, that, that, that's a great kind of like introspective to that. Um, moving into something a little bit more, you know, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit, I'll, I'll say dicey, but let's, let's kind of dive into it. From, from, from somebody that's competed at a high level of sports, especially strength sports in a sense at such a high level. Um, what is your what is your take around the current discussion when it comes to transgender and sports? Especially when you talk about like very high level sports in a sense. Yeah, so the probably most controversial topic at the moment. Um, and I think well, yeah, it is. Um, and someone that, I'm, trust me, I'm not an expert, I'm not a scientist, um, but I think from, from my personal view is sport has to find a way to be inclusive, yeah. right? It has to find a way to be inclusive. Like society, society finds a way to be inclusive. We need to find a way for sport because sport does reflect society. That's just how it yeah. is. That's what people say. Yeah. However, sport also needs to find a way to maintain its fairness, Definitely. right? Yeah, because yeah. It, has to, it has to find a way to one, be inclusive, but also maintain its fairness. That balance at the moment is hanging by a thread. Mm. Now, I think at the moment, there's not enough research to, contra- like to, to really decide either way. And I think until that research is done for a long period of time to, you know, to confirm or deny that it could be done, and make sport fair but inclusive, then the decision can be made. But at the moment, the research is lacking. Um, mm. So they need, to, they need to invest in the best scientists, the best medical doctors, the best researchers, and actually actually have studies. Um, I know there's studies out there at the moment, but in a sporting setting at that level, I think yeah. they need to try and try to really more focus on that. Um, but yeah, like for me, it's, it's a difficult one. Like, I know there's been talk about a transgender category. Um, the issue is, is that I don't think there's enough numbers to make it competitive mm. uh, at the moment. Now, will that grow in time? Potentially. Um, will that grow to a stage where you can include, you know, trans athletes at that sort of level for their own category? Maybe if it grows to that level. But at the moment, the, the numbers are not there yet and the research is still quite lacking. Um, and unfortunately, sport at the top, top, top level is it is exclusive because you are talking about the best humans on the planet at their physical peak. Um, so yeah, and in, in like so for me, um, it's still a long way to go, and this discussion's not over yet, I guess. That's, to be honest, that answer is such a 
is such a <laughs> it's such a cool answer. And the reason why I say so is because this is this this is a discussion I regularly have on a on a monthly basis. And because I'm also trying to learn at the same time, because like I said, we, we want to make sure that we're as inclusive as possible as a society. And sports is, in in a sense, a reflection of society. And we, but at the same time, we also need to be fair. And in order for you to be fair, you need to be able to have the data. And the data comes as you, you only generate data over time. You can't just go on on a very very like very very, very low amount of uh, amount of numbers. You need more numbers. You need more. You need time. And you don't have to generate those those uh, and generate that data. And I feel like for me personally, I feel like like you said, the science is lacking. And maybe it's intentional, 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 or non-intentional, but the science in this space is lacking. And as a result of that, it's 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 pushing people to take sides as to what is what should be or what shouldn't be in a sense. Because like I said, at that top level is all about top physical performance of a human being. That's what we're looking for at that top level. And in that top level, like how can you accommodate people at that level? But there's gonna be that but we have to watch out for. So yeah, it's, it's um, it's a, so yeah, you're talking about like at that top level, um, peak performance, but it has to be in a fair environment. Yeah. Right. So, for me, there there needs to be a, a huge discussion um about, you know, is it fair and why? It's not fair, but why? You, yeah. you need to be able to prove both points comprehensively for this for this to for this discussion to really like kind of. Well, not conclude, but at least the policies are there to reflect them arguments. And at the moment, even the organisations writing the policies are changing literally every couple of months because of the outcry, because some people are taking sides. Um, yeah. And nobody's going, you know what? We need to put in five, ten years of research here for us to actually think about these policies being robust enough. Because yeah. sport has to adapt. It has to adapt um, as the world adapts. So yeah. there needs to be a way where they can, you know, prove what, the, you know, kind of prove either way yeah. um and until yeah. we get until we get there then people will take sides that there we go because this like i said the, the science is way behind right now and that's why you have you have like for example like i look i look at like america and whereby sports in a sense is especially sports in in, in academics as well and how that is a, is a massive money-making machine and a massive springboard for a lot of people to continue to continue when it comes to the academics um, become potentially leading to championship leading to the olympics and stuff like that and how right now is is, is actually gaining a lot of attention in america in, in the past like two three four years and there are quite a lot of cases, like court cases, especially with different like states and state laws when it comes to what is fair, especially when it comes to trans women in sports and like how that is potentially a detriment to women's sports. But like cool, there is quite limited number when it comes to the science and the numbers right now. But in order for in order for you yeah. to have inclusive, you need more. But then you got the argument of Casa Semenya. Yeah. So you know, so for me, like, are we hypocrites? There we go. Are we gonna? Are we? Are, are we? Pick, are we picking what we want to fight rather than actually going? You know what? We need to look at this like globally. You've mm. got a case of Casa Semenya where, remember, she was told to take something to reduce her physical attributes as a woman for yeah. her to compete. Think about that for a minute, right? Yeah. Think about that for a minute. And we're talking about an organisation that's anti-doping. But they're making somebody take something to reduce her physical qualities because she's too good. She's too good. There we go. So for me, like, 
that's why research and data has to be the way forward until we have a like a proper rational discussion um rather than people using emotion or the perception of a situation as their uh, as their argument bang bang on bang and and i think for me this 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 is something that it, it it's it's going it's going to be more of a topical debate topical debate but the reason why i i i'm, I'm well versed and interested in this is because i'm looking for the science I, I i want i want the science to gain speed i want the science to gain gain pace simply simply because i need i i want to see the science being the tool used to then decide and then create create a society that's a bit more equal in a sense I place place that equality in society needs to be based on the science and not just on because I feel this way then then is the truth because right now a lot a lot of the debaters I spend a lot of time watching watching and listening to what people say and stuff like that and a lot of it is to do with I feel this way so it must be this way it must be true and I'm like wait 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 we can't always go around saying because I feel this way then this must be the case then, because if that's the case because if we if we were to do that society would not be able to function well. We won't be able to like basically you might as well just when it comes to sports you might as well just throw the men the men and women class you might just throw them away because i feel if i if i say i feel this way then i should go compete in that in that segment of, of the sports so like i i do think that the science still has a very long way to go but it needs to catch up or else this is where you have like those politicians begin to make stupid rules or, or, or make declaration uh, or decoration because i think was it the um the swimmer um leah thomas um, literally one go like she came first in, in one of the, in the highest championship and then you had the governor of the state say no no no, no we're giving the first to you <laughs> we're making a declaration giving the first to the person that came second yeah that, 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 that's embarrassing that's dangerous that's embarrassing yeah, yeah it's very dangerous like imagine imagine what that person's gone through publicly for someone that high ranked to go actually i'm taking that title away from you because actually i i be, i believe something um and it's like I believe something rather than actually this is what the science says, and the rules should have reflected that. Yes. Yeah, it was it was a little bit um, unconsiderate. Um, in it, my got, it got me. It got it, like literally it got me because I it's like I was like this is where I see the danger in because this is this is where and the reason why I say this is where I see the danger in is because we've seen how politics has made as well when it comes to the race debate when it comes to uh, uh, um, color when it comes to gender religion and stuff like that we've seen how politics has played in that in that space and how in a sense politics has sometimes made the situation a lot worse and created a lot more divide and here is a great example of seeing how somebody has used this political power to change the results because it did not favor what they believe to be the truth I, I really found that situation. I was like, okay, this is really bad. Well, the thing is, a little bit like anti-doping, right? There's been, well, the last 30 years, there's been a huge increase in anti-doping research, um, like covering loads of themes and topics. This is just going to be another one where you have to have that sort of bulk of research to really think about these policies and how to change them and adapt them. Um, yeah, for me, like, I have a lot of sympathy for the organisations here because uh, they've got a lot of adapting to do quite quickly. <laughs> yeah, they definitely have a lot, a lot on their hands. I, to be honest, I wouldn't want to be on that board making those decisions. No way would I want to put my name next to that. <laughs> it's just, it's just not worth the hassle. No way is it worth the hassle. I'm definitely not. Cut you can't, you can't, you can't please, you can't please everyone. That's true. That's true. Can't you please can't. everyone. Um, sport is sport at that level. There's, 
the policies are for the majority. Uh, you're not going to be able to please 100 percent of people. It's just how it is. Yeah, yeah. That, like I said, that's that's the way it is. You can't please 100 percent of everyone, and some people are just going to have to just be given the they be given the, the raw end of the stick. But that's just that's just the way it goes. That's just the way it goes. Oh, uh, well, no, that's that, that was just something I wanted to have this chat with you about because it's something I've wanted. I wanted to kind of like speak to someone that's been on that kind of top level of of, of sports. Um, I think kind of like shifting into like right now sports in the uk for example sport looking at sports in the uk as a general um and i don't know for me i always feel like in the uk there's a lot more emphasis when it comes when it comes to sports like you look at football it's like it's like football cricket and that how how do you, how do other sports kind of like make a, make make themselves and make themselves known at such a high level because or is it is are we just passionate about football cricket and that's it the rest of it just fight between yourself and what gets for, for what gets the rounds in a sense yeah so like i guess from being from a minority sport like powerlifting um it's very hard to get any sort of exposure because you are a small sport um and also as well uh, as you know the power of things doping history is quite bad uh, on paper compared to the other sports which makes it actually look even bad look bad as a as a sport um it's not bad it's just Unfortunately, because of the physical attributes involved, people are more likely to cheat. It's just how it is. Yeah. Um, I guess from my point of view is um, social media now is quite powerful. Like sports need to be able to like definitely master marketing and social media presence because if a video goes viral, then you've got a good shot at attracting people. Uh, and obviously athletes are now becoming brands as well in their own right. Uh, they're not relying on marketing agencies or anything like that. So I guess, you know, there needs to be more creative ways to really engage the communities when it comes to smaller sports. And yeah. also as well, like we're quite lucky that in this country, um, because of our success at the Olympic and Paralympic Games, we actually do push, you know, push a lot of kids into them Olympic and Paralympic sports. Um, and, you know, we do make them quite popular. Maybe sometimes we have to wait every four years for them to become popular, but at mm. least there's a surge in numbers when it comes to the games games time. But yeah. it's whether or not how, how can you engage them in between the games? That's the issue. Mm. Um, and that's actually on the media in terms of coverage. Um, that's on the journalists in terms of coverage. So I guess, you know, it's, it's, it's an overall, um, you know, for me, it's people working together rather than going, right, the sport has to do this or this. And I think it's, everyone coming together and actually you know make sure it's exposed every single month rather than every four years yeah i, I think i think it, it also kind of falls on seeing seeing especially like just taking this consideration I, I was thinking about like the inclusion or or having or having society showcase more people of of, of, of various disabilities and stuff like that are key positions for example, news readers, presenters, those that those like in, in various social spaces and, and stuff like that, kind of showing, making it normal, I think also kind of fits into sports in a sense as well. So it's like, okay, yeah, people come in different in, 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 with, with, with different attributes and stuff like that. And you see them in your day-to-day -day life, you can also see them in sports as well. And it makes it a lot more inclusive. Yeah, so I've got a question to ask you. How many disabled people do you know are in senior positions in major organizations? Not gonna lie, zilch. Exactly, zilch. and that's the problem. Yeah, no, that's the problem. That's um, until we address, 
until we address that, like for me, big companies can't say they're inclusive when you're giving to the sale person the lowest skilled jobs and then you expect them to be appreciative of that. Um, yeah. Actually, let them demonstrate their ability and promote them to higher ranking jobs. Um, just because you've got a disabled boss doesn't mean they're any less, um, any less efficient. Um, so yeah, for, for me, it's like the only way society changes is actually it changes rather than going, it needs to change. We, we've been talking about changing for years. Nobody's actually done anything. Yeah. Um, you've, got all the, you've got all the government stats and figures but, and all these you know, projects that help, but what's it, what's it really going? Like, what's it really doing? Nothing, mm-hmm. not really. No, no, that's, that's that was a question. That was a question. It, 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 is, it is something that I, I have seen on I have seen just just on my day to day life and just going around and even even just even just the little things of like going on going utilizing public transport, for example. I I look I look at the train lines or whatever. I'm like, actually, we talk like we talk about how TFL is accessible, but not really because. Not all train lines, not all not all stations are are, are are quite accessible. People have to go maybe go further distance to have accessibility. Then we can't really say we are as a society building or we've done enough to make sure people can feel that they can be fully fledged members of society. We need we need like not just talk the talk, but we need this to be implemented at all every single avenue. Actually, buildings are, are just like ways of like thinking about constructions or development and stuff like that has not just to be built around because this is a discussion i was having uh, a few months ago uh, with someone talking about how like for example cars cars are modeled on physically able white men houses ways of life and stuff like that are built around physically enabled white men of some sort so you have you have like for example the seat belt isn't constructed for women's use we have to kind of adapt the seat belt to kind of fit there like it's just all of that. So like I said we need to we need to be kind of not just talk talk, but actually invest in it. And where do you where do you see or like do you see that happening any quicker, or do you think that it's going to take a while for that to actually be the case? Um, I think there needs to be a um, a disabled version of Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos uh, with with unlimited resources to go. Actually, I find enough. I'm going to do it myself. Mm. That's basically, I think, I think you need somebody at that sort of status and them, them, them sort of symbols to go, actually, the world has to be more accessible. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. So instead of going to space, make the world accessible. Yeah. Put those, put those trillions and those billions or whatever we keep talking about, actually use it to make life accessible for everyone. <laughs> no, no, that's, 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 that's banger. Wait, quick, a quick one. Um, you, know, you know how it's been mentioned in the Olympics? Uh, how they're gonna take away um, weightlifting from the Olympics? Because I'm not really sure. What do you think about that? <laughs> do you think that's a right move? Or <laughs> I'm trying to um, distance my emotions to facts. Emotionally, weightlifting is literally one of the traditional sports at the Olympics, dating back to the first one. Yeah. And it, it is so popular at the games. Every, like every um, body weight is packed out, right? It's so yes. popular at the Olympic Games, right? The issue is the sport has not done enough to adhere to the Olympic values, mm. right? It's yeah. that countries dope. It's not banned countries fully. Um, it's made the sport inaccessible for clean nations, right? And mm. in my, And 
the only way they're going to learn is you kick them out. Okay. In my opinion. <laughs> no, no, you know what? I've, I've that answer because you've kind of, you, you, you've looked at it from both sides. Like you're quite passionate about the sport, but at the same time, you look at it from just putting yourself out of the emotion out of it. Like, yeah, do you, do you deserve to be in a sport? Do you deserve to be in an organization at such a level if you don't adhere to the rules and the regulations and, and, and the spirit of the sport in a sense? And yeah, it's, 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 it's like what they did to Russia when Russia was doping and how everyone said kick Russia out of the cool then if that's the case but the sport itself is quite riddled with doping then what's the point of having the sport and everyone just but, but also, place it with something else not not just doping cor- like corruption as well yeah at yeah. the top level so yeah. that's that's even worse yeah oh, so man. for me like yeah like for me absolutely take them out just to just to go act like if you're not going to change then you're going to get no more chances just because you're a a popular olympic sport once every four years that's not enough you have that's to adhere enough. to the values yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's not enough. So, so my question would be, what what sport should replace it? <laughs> you know what? I think powerlifting should go in there, mm. but yeah, but because obviously, like, if weightlifting does get kicked out, there needs to be a weight bearing sport, right? In my opinion, yeah. to replace it, right? So with powerlifting, no offense, it's quite boring. Nine lifts over a whole day. That's not going to, for me, it has to fit into an hour and a half, like weightlifting. Yeah. So I'd actually compromise and go, actually, we want the powerlifting lifts, but you only get two lifts each or one lift each. Okay, so you just come up, you just come up, do your max lift. <laughs> That's it. One lift. You can't well, no, or, or, maybe, or, or maybe like, yeah, or maybe two lifts each and only the top eight in the world go. Yeah. So you <laughs> really make it the top of the top of the tree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. But unfortunately, no. Um, yeah, unfortunately for me, um, the, the powerlifting doping history is probably the same as the weightlifting history, so I can't say much, can I? Unfortunately, I, I, this has been put to me quite a lot about CrossFit replacing weightlifting, and it's got a long way to go when it comes to their anti-doping policies, in my yeah. opinion. It's got a long way to go to really um, to really prove that they're anti-doping mm. and they're taking it seriously. Also, um, how is that going to be structured in an Olympic setting? And uh, no, because, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah because yeah, there's, loads of, there's, there's loads of events over multiple, multiple days. Um, yeah. do, you go, do you go, right, is it all about, you know, different workouts like during the day and then somebody wins it at the end. I don't know. Like for me, I wouldn't have crossed. CrossFit's not ready. Mm. It's nowhere near ready. I yeah. don't think. Like, yeah, it's done pretty well. It's, it makes a lot of money commercially, which is attractive and people watch it. Um, but it's nowhere near ready to have the infrastructure to compete or to be showcased at that sort of level. Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. No, that's, uh, that's, hey. We, 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 we have to wait and see what happens in that space in the sense we have to wait and see what happens in that space but uh, my last question to you just like um, what are, what is life like right now for you when it comes to like PhD and handling and handling the, be, being an owner of, a, of such of such an app that is developing constantly and stuff like that how do you how do you manage your time how do you how do you prioritize and how do you kind of keep yourself going in a sense um, that's a good question. Um, it's obviously long hours. 
um, obviously a, a tech startup is long hours, uh, especially when you're like bootstrapping. Um, obviously, PhD on top means that I have to do some sort of reading every day to keep um, updated on things. Luckily for me, when it comes to anti-doping in para-sport, there's not much out there that comes out. Um, so, yeah, I'm quite lucky in the sense that it's not changing as rapidly as I want it to. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I'm someone that's very good at organizing my time. Um, I'm someone that's very productive within that time. And yeah, I'm, I'm someone that gets work done rather than like waste, waste time. No um, so yeah, hopefully I can, I can, I, I don't at all. So that's why I kind of, hopefully with the app, it accelerates to a place where I can employ a team to, to well, a team that's better than me. Um, to make sure that um, I'm not working them long hours, <laughs> basically. So when next are we going to see you on TV? On TV? Oh, yeah. When are we, when um, are we on TV? When? No, well, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like I've always said when I be kind of when I kind of walk away from sport, I'm probably you're not going to see me on TV. Like for me, I just want to kind of walk away from the limelight. Um, only because I've never really liked being a you know being in the public eye at all. Never really, it's never really got me. Uh, for me, I just want to play sport and compete at the top level. Um, unfortunately, it does come with that aspect of it, but I've, I've actually never liked that aspect. Um, so for me, like, yeah, I'd rather like roll away in the background quietly. <laughs> no, no, we, we need to see your face a bit more. So, guys, you're gonna find him on, on Instagram. Definitely find this page. Check out the app as well, um, and any input you have. Just put it back. Uh, I've sent it back his way. But Ali, it's been a pleasure. Um, definitely a great conversation. I really, really like um, the conversation. And we definitely have more to talk about in the future. Uh, keep me posted as to how the platform goes, how the app development goes, and um, just the current, like, current discussion around that space as well. It'd, kind of, it'd be great to see how this progresses. And I'll definitely kind of keep in touch as well. Um, but really thank you for being on the, on the, on the podcast today. I uh, hope people get something out of this discussion because I think um, we definitely touched upon uh, a few interesting stuff. And yeah, it's been great to have you and I really do appreciate your time. Uh, thank you, appreciate it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And that is a wrap, folks. Thank you for listening to this episode. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed making it. Let me know what you think about this episode and much more by following us on Instagram at swishton underscore with Paul. And remember to like, follow, and share. On to the next one. Peace out. <laughs>